Lots of snacks. You mowed a lot of snacks. I did. I was on my, uh, I go look my little marathon runs. <laughs> well, whenever I'm in a city where there's a high concentration of possibly real tasty things around, it's like more fun to bounce around, you know? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I like that about, well, like, you know, here in Vancouver, some places I'm going to be, there's not going to be a lot of snacks around. Yeah. It's and good snacks, too. It's good snacks, too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you have uh, different snacks out here than you have in Toronto, huh? Way tastier snacks in Toronto. Like, why is it because of the different cultural differences? For sure, cultural differences. Yeah. Um, anything from around the world in your West Indian food that you yeah, love? That's so. so good. I know. I'm sure you guys got to have some good snacks out there yeah. on Vancouver Island out on the isolation. Yeah, like fish. Lots of fish, I guess. Fish is more of a meal. Like, vegan I mean, food? Vegan food. There you go. Kombucha. Um, kombucha's big. Kombucha is so popular that do you, you can get do it. Do you on drink tap. it? You no. can get kombucha on tap. Yeah. Damn. I mean, I like probiotics. No, I don't drink kombucha, though. Kombucha. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I don't like the taste of it, but I do like... I drink apple cider vinegar. That does a good thing for me. Yeah, kombucha is like this similar type thing, right? They have it on tap. Jesus fucking yeah, Christ. Yeah, I like movie theaters and stuff. Canada out white people's all-American <laughs> white people. What? Dude. That that uh, splendid laugh you're hearing is my guest and good friend. Um, she is a mental health and addictions counselor specialist. She's also a great photographer, Stephanie Sweetnam. And she's giggling because of, uh, she, she's from Toronto. You're from Toronto. Yes, I'm from Toronto. But she's in Vancouver Island, which is a very different part of Canada where apparently kombucha flows <laughs> like wine. It, I mean, I saw these people when we were out drinking some strawberry rhubarb kombucha and I like strawberry rhubarb pie. So I thought maybe, maybe I'd like that flavor, but no. Yeah, they're out here. Yeah, you definitely notice the lack of diversity from Toronto when you're out here. You, you, that's something like you right I'm off like the rip. The huh? only person of color in every single situation. Really, it's, like, it's really bad. But there's like a Southeast Asian population out here, right? Vancouver, yeah, it has an Asian population and like East Asian and Southeast Asian, but Vancouver Island is just super white. Yeah, is it because? Why is it? Is it a richer, nicer area? Is it just because it's isolated on the island? Really good weather, so people, old white people, go there to retire. Ah, motherfuckers! <laughs> it's like, is it like the Florida of Canada? Uh, I guess so. But no, but Florida's trashier. No offense, Floridians. I, I, this this feels more like like Santa Barbara, California. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but it's yeah. a nice place above LA. It's a couple hours north. Um, so you're out. On Vancouver Island, doing this mental health and addictions counseling therapy work. Um, what's what's going on over there or in this region that's um, different than back home in Toronto? I don't know. Homelessness is just really visible because I think the weather on the West Coast it's a lot less it's harsh. Nice it's it's hard. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not as harsh as the East Coast. So no brainer. Um, it, These the dudes are homeless. They're not dumb, dude. It's warm out here. <laughs> I, I totally. I'd be doing the same shit. Yeah. And there's like a overdose crisis right now. So oh, times are off of what in particular? Like fentanyl. Fentanyl. Yeah. Fentanyl is on the streets. It's really yeah. something that I've discussed on this podcast a lot with different guests. Is you know opiate issues in this country, or America. You're from Canada. But it's same thing. There's a big issue here, and the fentanyl is the big element. So go yeah. on. So it's it's just like a, a storm that we can't even keep up with here. 
It's wow, like body's dropping a lot. So much trauma and grief. It's it's the I've been here for a year and a half and like this time has changed me. Is it worse than um Toronto's opiate problem? Um I wasn't like it wasn't as bad when I left Toronto. I don't know what it's like now. It seems like it's getting bad, but yeah, it seems I've, like everywhere yeah. is just growing. It's like a mold uh, on this con- part of the continent. It's just yeah. spreading, spreading, out of control. Yeah, it's really um, sad. So, would you say the majority of the, your homeless patients are uh, having issues with opiates? Yeah, up, up or down could be like opiates, but it like crystal meth is big, yeah. crack is big. Um, and lots of people use multiple substances. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Yep. I mean, meth is one thing like in the East Coast uh, of America, it's not a very big popular drug. I live in California now where it's fucking huge. Uh, was just, we were just in Sacramento, California two days ago, which is like meth city. Is and it? A, yeah, it's a big, uh, big meth area. And then I know, I'm sure like Pacific Northwest, there's a lot of meth. And go- I mean, it's cheap. It's fucking cheap. Yep. I'm sure in Vancouver. Is there meth in Toronto? Yeah, for sure. God, we are just giving you guys all these light, funny topics on Damage Goods today. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, so you're um, you're sober, right? Yeah. And then you're dealing with a lot of people who are far from sober all the time. Does that help make it easier to like not want to drink once in a while or something, just keep you on track? Um, yes and no. No, because like I get... Say it again? Yes no, and no. 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 <laughs> I'm just pulling for that Canadian accent. Sorry. No. Um, I get Sorry. like traumatized and triggered all the time and I don't have a coping skill that is drugs or alcohol like I used to. But yes, it helps me stay sober because I know if I didn't have like certain privileges in my life, I could so easily be on the other end of the relationships I have with my mm. people I work with. So Yeah, you're like really right there when you work in something that like you do, you're right there by the edge of it all, seeing it. I'm sure it's easy to see how how easier it is to fall into that side of things than people think. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's fucking scary just to be able to see that line every day. For sure. Heavy shit. Um the, is is like the homeless population in, in Vancouver's highest of all Canada. Um I don't know. I think Probably. I'm not sure. Don't yeah. quote me on this. You come to visit LA, we'll show you uh, Skid Row like you were looking at the footage. Uh, earlier she was looking at some footage on, on the interwebs. And that's and not just there, but LA in general. It's it's everywhere. And it's, it's just kind of commonplace. I've noticed in, it, you'll see you know homeless people in even nice areas. And it's just kind of, it's so commonplace in everyone's mind because there's really, I don't know if there's a, what the solution would be. And I just wonder in Toronto, is it widespread or do they keep it condensed to certain areas or what? Condensed to certain areas. Yeah. And Toronto has like a big gentrification problem right now. So like actively moving poor people out of areas that used to be. Yeah. Where they, so are like, where are the homeless people in, in Vancouver, Vancouver Island? Are they in like downtown districts? Um, so Vancouver is like uh, the downtown East side is the worst area. I don't know Vancouver that well, but in, Uh. on Vancouver Island in Victoria, where I live, like the block that I work on is like the block. It's like the epicenter of all things in that community. Yeah. I, I feel like there's always, I mean, in LA, Skid Row is on the, edges of downtown and that's one of the big concentrations and then there's always places you know um under bridges mm-hmm. shit that they can use for refuge mm-hmm. stuff like that makes a big difference um and it, but it's just, I, I was wondering i was like with my boy the other day we were driving around in la he was visiting we were high as hell 
we just came from eating fish tacos and I just there's a lot of homeless people. And we just drove by this little encampment. I just wondered. I was like, it was. A, it sounded real high the way I asked it. it. Was just like, is there any solution for it? I mean, I know there is. Like, let's just pay for some kind of housing or something like that, right? But is there? Like, I don't. I was literally asking. It wasn't like a rhetorical so question. So many solutions. So like, run through some because. Okay, housing. Yeah, yeah. Affordable housing doesn't exist. That's a huge thing. Second of all, access yes, to resources. To the there you go. <laughs> Keep that mic nice and straight for you. I want them to hear that passion. Um, Access to resources. Like there's not enough resources or counseling or or like rehab and treatment centers available for people. And the issues like society is so fucked up and we look at addiction and homelessness as these issues that are like people's fault. First of all, there are systems that make people end up on the streets and they're like, trauma is at the base of every addiction. So we don't look at the problem correctly and we like penalize people and we put them in jail. Are you fucking kidding me? People like who are addicts who like steal things to feed their addiction. They don't need to go to jail. Like they they need to talk about their issues and, and exactly. Do you find? Yeah. Sorry. As a society, we like do the people that I work with so wrong. It's fucked up. Is that just stress you out on the job or do you ever just like make you feel like, fuck, what can I, what can I do? Like, like what am, am I, I actually yeah, what doing? what am I doing? Is it making a difference? Yeah, for sure. That's like, if you let that feeling grow too much, you can definitely burn out super That's, fast. You, you feel powerless. Yeah, like the, the defeating kind of thing, like you're fighting an unwinnable war. I, when I used to teach, that was, I mean, so much different than what you do, but there was that kind of similar feeling of exhaustion and almost like a, what's the point? It's not, I don't know. You know, certain things like that are doing work in the community. It's exhausting and it's kind of, do you ever feel like it's a, not un, you don't receive enough gratitude for what you do? Like, mm. but that's obviously that's not why you do it, but do you ever feel like thankless work that you do or some shit? No. Cause you just love it. Then you just I just love it. This, <laughs> this woman has a big heart. You are so... Uh, she's before the podcast. I don't know what it was. Oh, you were looking at the thing on on Skid Row. Skid Row and God, I, thought, I was like Stephanie, don't cry. Yeah, at least wait till we get to the podcast. But uh, yeah, I mean, you you have a big heart, and a lot of empathy, which I I I can understand, and and I think that's a lot of people who are analysts or therapists like yourself. That's like a it's like a gift and the curse. It was the thing that makes you maybe wrong for a lot of things in life makes you right for your job, like. Having all that empathy is exhausting and, and, and draining. Totally. But you makes you good at what you're doing. Yeah. You can do your job good. Yeah. Is that true? For sure. Do you have any clients or patients that aren't homeless or you're only working with them right now? Um. Yeah, no. Everyone that I work with is kind of in that community. And that's, that's what you're doing, though. That's your yeah, thing, right? that's my thing. Before, when I was in Toronto, like I was in shelters and treatment centers and prisons, but honestly, it's always, it's the same population, just different, like, phases of institutionalization. Like, everybody I know so goes in So you're only working to work with people with an institutionalized background? Just people who are super oppressed. The people that n- society doesn't seem to care about. What was it like when you were working in, like, prison or the penal system with patients? It's crazy. It was crazy. Were they, were they more willing to open up than you, you anticipated? Because they were forced to come to, to group therapy. But yeah. I mean, did some just come and be like, fuck this, I don't yeah, want to be yeah, here? Yeah, for but, sure, for sure. Did anybody really get to take advantage of it? Yeah, some, like, few people were actually open to it. And that it was makes really, it worth it, right? Yeah, for sure. Even, like, one tiny connection where, like, you can see in a person's eyes that, like, you know, 
they feel heard and they feel seen and they feel important. Makes a kind of difference. That's awesome. I feel like that's, those are the things you need every so often in that kind of job just to keep you going. Right. For sure. And then at the same time, I'm sure you get some transferences or counter transferences with trigger shit. Um, like, cause it's like, I mean, broken people are the people that come into this line of work. You don't end up in yourself. this. Yeah. You don't end yeah. up in this work Your by accident. Well damaged. But that, so you get triggered to like, yeah, kind of whatever that stuff comes up a lot. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, when I was doing, when I was in school and I didn't finish like you did, like you're about to go, this one was about to go for her second fucking master's smarty pants. But I, I, I had some, um, schizophrenic patients and I remember one particular case that I ended up writing a big ass paper about was that I got this ill counter-transference from this one guy and like got all, he definitely threw me off my guard off square. I got angry. I got, you know, like I went to another place, you know? Um, so that's he's powerful shit when you can get that feeling from your patients and it's tough to maintain that professional kind of atmosphere and keep your head on. And then just also later, how if it doesn't mess with your head later or your for stress, sure. you know? Uh, I think when I was going to school for that shit, I thought being an analyst and a therapist would be a way for me to keep my mind off my problems. Yeah. And then you realize it does, but it also reminds you of your own because you're dealing with these other people with stuff that's going to trigger yours. Yeah. Um, and you just come home. What do you do when you come home? What's the unwind, like little routine you have? If it's like a weeknight. Um, I, I sage myself and I cleanse myself. Um, in that way. And I have, um, two dogs and a cat. So I get all the love. (laughs) Stephanie has a lot of animals. Every time I see you've got acquired a new one. Did you take the last one in off the streets? Yes, you did. I knew you did. Are they all off the streets? No. (laughs) Just my cat. Oh man. That's, I mean, that's nice. You got a little animal love at the house. That feels good. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, do you, I've noticed a lot of homeless people, at least in California, uh, dogs, man. A lot of them have fucking dogs. Is that the same up in Vancouver? Yeah. There's a lot of people with dogs. I guess I always thought, I was like, man, it's kind of, I mean, fuck, if I was out on the street struggling to get everything I could do to feed myself, keep myself going, I feel like a dog would be an extra mouth to feed, an extra uh, liability, an extra thing to look after. I'd be like too fucking stressed, fuck the dog, but I'm also not a dog person. And maybe it makes sense to yeah. have a companion out there because you're lonely. Is that, what, yeah, what's the science sure. behind it? I'm not, I feel like it's different for everybody, but, um, a lot of like, I'll hear a lot of people who aren't homeless, like judge the folks that I, I work with for having dogs and be like, how could you do that? That's so selfish. But like, seriously. Are those dogs are probably homeless or dogs that would have been put down perhaps yeah, and otherwise. Unless you've ever been homeless and you can understand what they're going through, you should just mind your business and keep your mouth shut. Yeah. I love when you get <laughs> sassy, Stephanie. <laughs> Authoritative. No, I, I mean, yeah, I think that's some of the, the misconceptions people have about how one becomes homeless and why they are and what it's like. And I mean, if you're in a city like, like Vancouver or Los Angeles or Salt Lake City, Utah has a huge population of homeless people. And you are constantly bombarded with, you know, images of people in encampments or begging for change around the streets people look at it as a nuisance and now they, you know, they, they, they either make assumptions or they, or they do, you know, there are fucking homeless people that are on drugs or that maybe got there through whatever way. But you, a lot of people lose their compassionate side towards the homeless because they feel like it's burdensome on them and the rest of society, or it's an eyesore, lowest property value, whatever their reasoning is, you know, but what are like, I mean, what are some of the more misconceptions people have about the, how the homeless people or how the homeless population becomes the homeless population? I hear a lot of people saying like, 
lazy and like, oh, anybody yeah. can get a job and, mm-hmm. oh, you just need to snap out it. Like, just seriously. Uh. <laughs> no. Obviously, like, they're, systematic oppression is real and, yeah. like, lack of privilege is real and, like, this, there's actual systems in place that keep oppressed people oppressed. Mm-hmm. That people with privilege who are often the ones who are judging and talking nonsense are, aren't even aware of because they're not affected by it. It's wow. really easy to look down, but, like, you just... Yeah. I think it's also, man, we got... It's like a numbers game. There's a lot of fucking people in this in this world. Like in America, there's a lot. I'm sure Canada and certain places is extremely populated. And just because maybe you were down and you kept working hard and you were one person who got out there and found a job and made it through, like that's just fucking the odds, dude. Like for every one of you, there might be another 10 people who couldn't and you're just the one who got lucky. Just because you work hard and go out there and get it and are not on drugs, alcohol, or what don't have a crazy home structure doesn't guarantee you that you're going to make it in this life. Like, it's just fucking odds. We have a lot of people. People are living a lot longer. We have more people than we used to, so opportunities dwindle, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, sometimes you can just go out there and get it cracking, but that's just not looking out for the rest of society because that's just not a a reasonable method to reach that level of stability. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. That's what... I think that's the best... For me, that was always my counter-argument when people use the pull yourself up from the bootstraps thing. Like, yo, some people do come immigrate from another country, dirt poor, rise up. And then there's another 10 persons to that one person who didn't. Because mm-hmm. there's not that much. There's only so many mouths to feed, dude. I don't know. We got we don't have a fucking people problem, man. We got a lot of you guys. Chill. Put on some condoms. Drink some Mountain Dew. We got a lot of people out here. Mountain Dew lowers the sperm count. <laughs> You oh, ever heard that? That's no, a myth. Yeah. I didn't know they that. used to say in America, urban myth perhaps, that Mountain Dew uh, lowered your sperm count. Because there's like, it's some pure chemicals. Of, yeah, some kind of sugary. I mean, have you ever tasted fucking Mountain Dew? Disgusting. It is a sugary. <laughs> uh, I was telling you earlier, Stephanie, so I'm on tour right now working with a Slayer and some heavy metal dudes, and we're in Vancouver for the day. And one of the guys on my tour is an older dude who's sober because he you know, did enough blow and drinking back in the day. So his thing is, Chain smokes fucking Marlboro Reds and drinks Mountain Dews. And he likes the Mountain Dews in glass bottles with like the real sugar cane in them. And he pounds them. And that's his fix to replace, you know, drugs and alcohol. But dude, Mountain Dews are A, they fucking taste like shit. It tastes like an extreme sports event. And they're just (laughs) sugary as fuck, dude. He pounds them. He he might go through three, four a day. Wow. I haven't had three or four Mountain Dews in like 20 years. Fucking. I don't think I've ever had more than one. Good. Keep it that way. You're not missing much. Stephanie's got some a uh, bunch of uh, some new tattoos on her, but she's got this one on her leg that she did herself, a little stick and poke style, a little jail style. <laughs> yeah. She wanted to do one for me, and I told her, I, I, "You got to get a couple more under your belt, so I feel confident." Well, but that's pretty good. You did, a, did did doing it upside down was that hard? Yeah, it was hard, and stick and poke is so painful yeah, and difficult. It's fucking because you. So Stephanie's one of the few people I know who've had a tattoo removal. Mm-hmm. Which is what was made more painful, that or the stick and poke? Tattoo removal. Tell hands people down. how it's so much more painful than getting a fucking tattoo. Oh my god, it's like eight million times more painful. And it's it takes like, a long time. It too, takes a long time, and it's like burning, and also like an elastic hitting your skin over and over again, and it's like second degree burns, and your skin literally like bubbles and blisters, and it takes <sighs> forever to heal. It's uh, it's hell. How many sessions do you have to go to? Like get. eight to twelve, Gee, if it goes away completely. Yeah, it's probably more expensive than getting a tattoo. Jesus, I mean, I don't know. I've never gotten 
one removed and you know just if you're gonna get a tattoo make sure you really want to keep that shit or just be ready for that painful god eight to twelve times jesus i just oh. gave up I so what is it's yours like, half removed? It's half removed. <laughs> Are you going to cover it? Or I don't know. Go? It's just, it's Fuck, so man. bad. I don't even know what to do. So the stick and poke feels better. <laughs> yeah. I had a, a mutual friend of ours did a stick and poke on me. It's it's not very big. It's like a go. It's like a fish bone skeleton thing on my shoulder. And that shit fucking hurt a lot. And yeah. I, it was hot as fuck. It was like 90 degrees, not much uh, airflow where we were, where he did it. No <laughs> AC for sure. And it was after surfing, so I was a little dehydrated and tired anyway. And it definitely hurt a lot more than you think. But it was cool. It was like a souvenir of sorts from your friend. Yeah. It's bad as to do it on yourself, though. Like, I would like to say that I did a tattoo on myself. Pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's pretty well, gangster. Just waiting for when you let me do it to you. All right, let me see. Like, you do two more either on yourself or somebody else. <laughs> do you think you'd be better on somebody else than yourself? Um, Because I wouldn't know how much pain you're in, so it wouldn't really matter. And I would keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I mean, that that's, dude, when you're doing it to yourself, it's like, fuck, fuck. Exactly. God. Do you do any little things other than that that, like, you know, sometimes we have little ticks that, like, people pick at their finger. Some people bite their fingernails. Some people, like, pick at some. Like, we all have a thing. Like, I love ripping my fucking nose hairs out because it hurts so bad it makes my eyes water and I have some sadistic <laughs> quality about me that likes that hmm. um, but you gotta be careful you can't do it around people because people are gonna think you're picking your nose no I'm not I'm just trying to get a fucking nose hair and rip it out and make my left eye water it hurts a lot but I love but you it. like it I like somehow reason like that pain do you have a little tick like that um I don't know. I need to think about it. I'm curious. How did you figure out that picking and out your nose hairs was like a thing? I don't know. It's like only a like a five or six year old habit. Okay. Um, it's not all the time. Yeah. But I, do you do it more when you're nervous? No, I think it's if I. I don't know. I forget about it sometimes. <laughs> and then if I go in the mirror and I look, I'm like, oh. And then and then when I do one, I'm like, oh, that stings. It's like, let me get one. More <laughs> it's fucking crazy. I mean, like I imagine when you're sticking, poking a tattoo, you're like, oh, I got to finish because I started. Mm-hmm. Oh, it hurts. You have to push through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when you had to wash out a cut with peroxide of alcohol. You know? Exactly. I feel like anybody also with like heavily tattooed has like a high tolerance pain. Yeah. Kind of likes it in some way. Yeah. Like you, you don't have those many tattoos unless you're okay with pain. That's true. God, I, I was... I don't know who I was talking to recently about, but as I gotten older, like tattoos hurt a lot more than they used to. And if you take a couple of years off, <laughs> then you're like, "Fuck, I forgot what this is like." Oh man, I can't sit as long as I I used to be able to. What's the longest that you've sat? Probably in one six, sitting? six and a half hours. Jeez. Yeah, it's not that long. I mean, dude, some people do longer, and like, oh, not a lot of sessions did I do those six and a half hours. That's a lot. When I was younger, that I could hang with it more, and now I'm just like, oh, fuck, fuck that shit, painful. But not as much as that lasering thing on the side. Mm-mm. No, uh-uh. no. Um, do you ever think like, well, I know you have probably plans to go back to Toronto and do work in this field more and you want to go back and get another master's degree. Is that going to allow you to work with people in a different uh, manner or like different populations of people? Or what is that going to enable you to do? Um, another plaque on the wall? Another plaque on the wall. Right? Make you look good. Make enough. my charge. Ego you bigger. So you can charge more money per hour? No. <laughs> Um, so my graduate degree is in art therapy and I, it's like kind of, it's great, but it's kind of useless. Um, (laughs) it truly like, at least you're honest. (laughs) So I've been thinking about doing a master's of social work for a while because Stephanie's a very good artist. So committed to working with the homeless population. And I feel like if I went into social work, 
I could like serve them better. Mm. So it's like, God, you're a righteous warrior (laughs) princess. If there has ever been one. Um, I mean, we, I know we talked about it a little bit earlier about like Adderall, uh, being the, Sorry, am I disclosing too much private information? That's okay. Guys, so give me the eyeballs if I do. So you you used to be on Adderall when you were younger, right? Yeah, since I was like 14, so yeah, 15. Yeah, and that's usually around the age. I, I think they offered Ritalin to me because I was ADD, but my parents, they put the kibosh on that, so I didn't. But in America, tons of motherfucking kids on Adderall and a lot of adults. Adults. Mm-hmm. You like how I said adult? Adult. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of adults are on it, especially depending what what uh, profession they work in, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of writers or, or people that just need a lot of organization. And a lot of people probably find cognitive benefits from it, but you're done with it, right? You killed that. everything when you everything. went sober. Everything. In, are a lot of people in Canada on Adderall too, like America's heavied up on that. Oh, I think we're heavied up too. What do the pharmaceutical companies have as much power with like lobbyists and shit in Canada? Yeah, they're super powerful. So here. just like the U.S., yeah, like for sure. Just, are they allowed to advertise in Canada? Because yeah. I don't think so. I mean, are I know they? I think it's the U.S. and like New Zealand or some shit are the only two countries where you can the pharmaceutical companies are allowed to advertise. I feel I'm not sure because we get American channels, so I'm not sure if the uh, advertisements yeah. I see are. I mean, like you go to Europe or, or, or parts of South America or places like that. Like there's no pharmaceutical. You're not allowed ads. to. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to the doctor prescribes something when you think you have an issue or that you know like things like that. Where now, like I go down the street in California, you see billboards for shit like that or on TV, dude. Jeez. All the ads with the really when they run through all the fucking side effects really fast. That's brutal. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've used to have my. I've had psychiatrists offer up and push drugs on me before. Uh, you know, when I was going to therapy, I'd also see a psychiatrist because I was on prescription meds for a while. I haven't been for a while, years and years now. It feels great. I'm jealous. So are you so you're off? You know, take Adderall. You take other prescription medications. The, I am still on antidepressants. So was the Adderall just a a choice because you were deciding to leave all substances alone, and that was so close to a substance in yeah, your mind? Yeah, I feel like the Adderall was like it was cool, but it was cool probably like at fourteen when I they thought I needed it, but by the time that I decided to get sober, I was. Pr- overusing it I mean, abusing it's like a methamphetamine. it for sure and it was like totally it was making me have to use things that like alcohol a lot more to, to calm myself even, down even the keel, right yeah it was like really driving a lot of mm. other addictive problematic uh, behaviors so and then i mean with the our the antidepressants like we don't have to get into which ones and stuff but i mean is that do you find like any difference in those when you're not on any other substances because that's one thing I know I knew when I was on them that mixing alcohol and drugs with these antidepressants could have adverse effects but I did it anyway because that was my habits yeah. you know so I've never I was never on them without booze or drugs in my system or weed or something like that how do you notice a difference um before when I before I was sober I used to tell myself that these meds would make me feel like a zombie mm. um I don't know if that was like to rationalize my drinking or other stuff. I don't know. I feel okay, but I've been on antidepressants for a long time. So it's hard to like, tell. Like, yeah, 16 years. Straight, no no breaks. Little breaks, but yeah. I mean, little breaks are hard too. Like yeah. you really have those. Yeah. I was always wondering if, it, you know, maybe I would have gotten a different uh, experience from them if I was just adhering to them the strictly the way they say, but I, I don't know. I, yeah. I've always... I've, in my experience with them, were, was like I, 
everyone's is different. Mine, I don't think it did a great job for me. The difference wasn't big enough. And I think the downsides that I experienced were bad enough for me to say no. But I have people I know in my life and people I've worked with, with uh, you know, that absolutely need them or yeah. they can't function at all. It's better to function at a poor level than no level at all. For sure. And some people, I think, if you... If you take other measures to help mitigate your anxiety or mitigate your depression, you can work with it, but you have to really make conscious efforts daily. Certain yeah. thing, diets, exercises, exposure to lights. I used to have a light box on mm-hmm. certain herbs and supplements, yeah. certain activities and, and removing others. And sometimes that's substances, you know. Yeah. Depressive mood states come in. At, like I was telling you earlier, if I go party really hard now, fuck, man, my serotonin is gone the next yeah. day and I need to if I don't have 5 HTP on tap which I always do yeah. I'm hurting and even then sometimes I mean, it just zaps my my energy for life I'm like for sure shit. I don't know do you um are any of the the homeless population you work with are any of your patients on prescription medication still uh yeah for sure and so for a lot of people that's how it starts well I know it's how it starts but I was and this might be my ignorance on the matter I know how it starts, but when one's homeless, is it common that they're still on a prescription medication and how they're receiving it? Um, I guess the most common prescription medication, if it's a prescription, me- like methadone. Yeah. So, right. But I guess that's not technically, like, that's just. Keep that mic nice and mic-y. Oh, there my you go. bad. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, is methadone is, I mean, you're going to see. Maybe I don't know enough about methadone, so I should shut the fuck up, Jake. But I didn't know if that was... I guess I'm thinking more things like Adderall or like mm. lorazepams and Ativans and Celexas and shit. To some extent, but it's it's like by the time people are like... Out there, you're far removed from some kind of pharmacy yeah, situation. Yeah, for sure. It's more street drugs. So yeah. And then I, I mean, I know I've had a lot of people in my life, the way they ended up on heroin was through Oxycontin and Percocet, yep. you know, and other pills and things like that. So I'm, I know that's probably the the beginning stages of how a lot of the addiction of that population grows, right? Yeah, morphine. Yeah. Is like straight morphine? Dilated. Is yeah. that big out here, the morphine? Morphine, yeah. yeah. I see that a lot. Dilated a lot, too. The fentanyl, in, in at least in the East Coast, is really what's killing so many people in the heroin out there. And um, I've got some people back home who work closely in this realm, and they were telling me that, at least in Massachusetts, there's been people cutting cocaine with fentanyl. Yep. Which is, so that's, that's not uncommon out here too. Yep. And like other like smokable drugs that happens all the time here. It's crazy because fentanyl, which is like more similar to a downer, like an opiate, it produces like different effects in cocaine. And, and if you're going for the effects that cocaine would produce and you're expecting cocaine and you're receiving fentanyl, you're going to be fucked. Yeah. yeah. And you could overdose so easily because you're not used to it. You yeah. don't even know what's in there. That's, I mean, dude. That's why drugs need to be decriminalized so that you can control yeah. and keep people safe and Regulate alive. Regulate shit, control. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, the same way, like, regulating fucking prostitution and, yep. and you keep people safe. You keep yep. diseases down. Portugal yep. is a great example of the yes. decriminalization of drugs and yes. sex workers. Yep. And um, look how well they're doing. Yeah, their, their, their STD rates are low. Their, uh, their incarceration rates are low. The crime or violent crime. Overdose rates are low. Oh, yeah, like, incredibly low. Violent yeah. crime rates are, are, are down. Addiction rates are down. They have so many therapeutic like facilities. Yeah. Like They believe in treatment, which is what we need, not jail. Yeah. And I think there's a, their, their story is a good one to watch because their economy has been shitty for a while. So I'm wondering now, like, it's, I don't know, it's only been 10 years since they've, I think, started that decriminalization process, which is not a long time to be making huge societal changes. Yeah. But I wonder that maybe over the next 10 years again, 
if that will lead to some positive effect on their economy because all these other baseline problems have been taken care of at the root yep. for once. Yeah. You know, but Portugal is a great example. What other? Well, there's Netherlands. What other countries have good decriminalized drugs? Portugal is like the biggest example that we kind of like in our field look at. Canada still has drug laws. Yeah, for sure. Kind of like you guys. Still? Yeah. But why does everyone think he's so lax? We just think weed is lax. I don't know. People think we're soft for some reason. Oh, yeah. I always thought, we always thought you guys had lax drug laws because I think weed is like partially like okay, right? Um, But not really. Because like, you guys are so kind of like polite. You guys sorry. have such good manners. <laughs> you guys are the best. <laughs> uh, who's your favorite Canadian that's not related to you that you don't know personally? Hmm. That's so hard. Oh, wow. Really? I don't know. I have to think about it. Who's a person? Who's, who's a Canadian that people Canadian? don't know is a Canadian? I feel like everybody knows who's Canadian now because we're like Chris blowing Farley's up. Chris Farley was Canadian. Chris Farley, Dan, Dan Aykroyd. You just Mike reminded Myers. me of him. Mike Myers. So many. Oh, basically all the best actors and artists are from Ooh. Canada. <laughs> who's another actors from Canada? Uh, actors. Yeah. I'm not prepared for this Who's question. Who's your favorite Canadian musical artist right now? Well, because I'm from Toronto, I'm like Drake. Besides sorry. Drake, there's got to be somebody else <laughs> other than Drake. I like everybody out of Toronto, like Party Next Door, Division, Door. Roy Woods. Who is this? Majid Jordan. Majid Jordan's dope. There was who was it from Toronto? Man, there was this rapper, um, Danny O. This is when like the '90s. This is like '97, '98. His name is like Danny E. Like the letter E O. He was from Toronto. <laughs> he was dope. He's roll with uh, what were those dudes named? Chocolaire. Oh my gosh. And uh, Socrates and yeah, all these yeah. guys. And they were huge back in wow, the day. The Rascals, maybe. The Rascals. Yeah. So he's yeah. down them. So I know all those dudes. I liked all that. And then what was I like? Cardinal official. Something. Yeah. Was, was he popular in Toronto? Yeah, he was huge. He would always have these little splashes in the states where he'd have like a big song. People would be down, and then his he would fizzle away and kind of come back. And I was wondering what he was like in Canada. How they, he was received. I always liked him. I thought he was dope. Before Drake came yeah, along, was Cardinal was like the biggest we ever had. Yeah, he was. He was. And I feel like it's a bummer that like, did Drake ever do a record with him? I don't know. He loved, Drake loved, Jake's like, no, I'm the only motherfucker speaking Patois on my own records. You can't, <laughs> Cardinal can't do it. I'm doing the Patois. Because then Cardinal would have made his Patois sound like shit, because it is. Yeah. Fucking funny. You can't <laughs> shit on Drake to a Canadian, though. You guys are too nice. Too nice. Well, who, who's got the best poutine? Montreal. What's the best kind of poutine? Obviously vegan, vegetarian. Really? Why? Uh, oh, because now you're vegetarian right now. But you didn't like six months ago, right? No. I like the ones when it's been like your the smoked meat, the pastrami chopped up on or the pulled poutine. pork. Pulled pork, yes. Yeah, I don't. I've I've only had a. I usually keep it pretty traditional. Mm. Like you know, in LA, there's poutine places that have like all kinds of different shit. I don't guacamole. Eat... Nah, I, that's mean, I a love disgrace. guacamole for poutine. Yeah, it's a disgrace. Exactly. Let's keep the fucking avocados <laughs> over there. There's no need to get the gravy on them. I do like poutine as a um, hangover breakfast, man. Shit, it's fucking awesome. Cracking egg on my poutine. Greasy. Yeah. Now, get, get all fat, eat some dinner, get all big. <laughs> I mean, now these show days I've been working, I've been telling Stephanie, I've been on my feet so much, I'm not eating them, fucking burning calories. So on the days off, just grubbing. That's why we want a little eat a thon. Literally, he ate. Yeah, like five and the Turkish times. coffee kicking in now. <laughs> so we go get this Turkish coffee for you that have never had it. It comes in this like big pot and it's very thick, strong coffee. You pour yourself little espresso sized cups. But every order of Turkish coffee is probably four espresso sized cups worth. And wasn't really feeling it. And man, we were fucking tired. 
We smoked a little gums or a little strong Canadian shit. We ate a really big meal. So I drank a bunch and I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm all right. Then we walk around, right? We smoke some more. I do. You don't. Uh, we were chilling and I'm a little more tired still. So what do I do? I get another goddamn coffee. <laughs> and then we're setting up the podcast. I'm still a little sleepy. But dude, all that shit just hit me, dude, like a bag of meth. I'm fucking, woo, Turkish coffee. Yep. <laughs> you ever been to Turkey? No. If you go, don't smuggle any hashish. Okay. It's a very famous movie called Midnight Express. Yeah, the first time I ever traveled by, my, by myself, my dad forced me to watch that movie yeah. to scare the life it's, out of that's me. That's like my favorite horror movie of all that time. <laughs> that movie's terrifying. And uh, yeah, I do not like to break international laws because no. of that movie. My mother had a friend in the 70s. Same shit happened to him in Turkey. In Turkey? Doing the same type of shit. Tough drug laws, man. Got to watch out. Some places, yeah, dude. They don't play. Some parts of Southeast Asia, they do not play with Mm-mm. drug laws. You know, you gotta be. You just gotta know where you do get into where you're going. You For know? sure. I, I th- well, how are Canada's other laws? Are you guys have crazy? You don't have crazy incarceration rates like we do, right? Um, like we disproportionately incarcerate people of color, like you guys. Yeah, do. that's. I think that's probably it's across just like the board a, in most countries. In America, to be uh, America's thing. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of countries like there always a, there's always a darker shade in every country and mm-hmm. a poor status. So like I feel like you're always getting the shaft. Yeah, Brazil, Puerto yeah. Rico, South America. That happens. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think that like a lot? I mean, I guess you'd see it with your clients. Do a lot of people, if a homeless person. Gets, I don't know what kind of charge they would get, drug charges. Like, are they just put in and then out so quick of this? Because it's like, what are we really charging this guy for, right? It's probably a low level yep. possession charge. Petty but it's crimes. His, his fifth charge or third. So he has to go to jail, but then he comes right back out, right? Yep. And, it, and what does that do? It costs the taxpayer money? Yeah. And it traumatizes people and unnecessarily. And it just puts that person in a worse situation. For sure. And they don't receive any treatment, right? No. It just like. I wanted to think that Canada had like a more advanced. Uh, treatment program that we do because I always think America's got the most archaic setups and I figure like you guys would be a little fucking better than uh, us we're kind of archaic too fuck is everywhere except for Portugal and Netherlands archaic yeah I guess so god damn it dude Portuguese they got some fine seafood and they got some fine ass drug laws <laughs> <laughs> uh, they got some good chicks too. pretty women pretty women probably some very suave gentlemen good surfing one of the biggest waves in the world uh, is in this place called Nazare. If I'm pronouncing it, my Portuguese sucks. It's a monster wave, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. I surfed Portugal, went, I would just go to watch this thing. Okay. Uh, you wouldn't it, surf it? Oh, fuck no. This is, I would nev- never in my life could I be good enough. This is oh. like, you know, very few people can surf this. Okay. The best of the best. I mean, we're okay. talking, I'll show you video of it. It's, we're talking 45, 50 foot waves. I mean, you have to get brought out on, on, um, what do you call those things? Jet skis, and they have sometimes helicopters and multiple jet skis out there to watch to make sure. I mean, if you go down, you might break your neck, your back. Oh it's so big. It's a mammoth wave when you watch the video footage of a dude surfing. It's like a little, it's like a little fly. You can't even see him. But it's in people crowd around this place because it looks like there's like a, almost like a castle type thing on the, on the coast, on the cove right there with a crazy view. So people are always watching it. And whenever the, a big swell prediction of the size waves come in, it's obviously a surfing hotspot, you know, the surfers crowd and all the press of that. But then just travelers, people are there. I'd love to go to the Portugal see that I'd surf the very chiller fucking places but mm-hmm. that would be just crazy for me to see I'll show it to you it's fucking scary as fuck okay cool yeah and then you see so you can get all high in fucking Portugal safely without fear of being uh, arrested and you can watch some crazy surfing just don't get high and go surf like that no although I do that I, I smoke weed and surf sometimes really not a lot just a little like not when it's really big when it's more mellower it kind of like 
Well, certainly you focus anyway. I end up focusing, but weed helps me focus, helps my ADD. So if I just do a little and I'm surfing mid-sized stuff for my skill level, I find myself kind of zoned out, focusing in tune too much that I might be a little not paying attention mm-hmm. or just to look winded, you know. Yeah. But I've definitely done my fair share of hungover surfing. Jeez. Throwing up in the ocean and shit. It's <laughs> not fun. I still, still have a good time, but then you crash hard after. Oh, yeah. It's it's it wears on you, man. I don't know. What's your best hangover cure if it's not surfing, or is it surfing? No, that's not a good cure. Uh, I just do it because I wanted to surf. I'm sleeping late as much as I can. I like to take Advil's or or headache medicine before I go to bed, mm. so I don't wake up with a splitting headache. Water, having food, I usually don't have the strength and wits about me to cook if I'm hungover. Mm-hmm. So I have to make sure that there's like, you know, I make my food decision very split second. Like, okay, this is what I'm getting. I can either go get it delivered. Or I can pick it up. I have enough strength to walk or drive somewhere. I know is going to be quick, not like what I want the most, but what I can count on mm-hmm. and getting food in my system, proteins, to soak up the sugars. That's why you should eat proteins and waters and uh, vegetables for nutrients. Uh, I usually no? eat that after they get the uh-huh. sugars out of me. And then something stable, you know, something that my stomach can hold down. And then I just left it lay around. I don't bounce back the same anymore, man. It's so old, though. Yeah, I know. That's my body telling me to fucking <laughs> chill. No, we're going to go put this poutine in our bellies, though. Right? Get all fucking fat and chubby, full of gravy running down my face. You know? Sounds good. I'm go pass out gravy to homeless people. I'm staying true. Get that dough cause the clock is ticking 